Welcome to Dead and Roasted. What can I get you? Ooh, boy. I get COVID for a little over a week, my tonsils swell up to the size of freaking golf balls, and when I finally come back feeling a tad better, this is what you guys have waiting for me? Geez, today's first story is a doozy. A real disturbing tale about the horrors people can often commit against other people. Prepare your stomach for this one. Even I'm going to be putting down my vanilla latte. Yikes. Enjoy these allegedly true and scary stories from work, and don't forget to send me your scary work stories so I can share them with more unsuspecting innocent minds here. If you want to be paid for the story, send it to us at eeriecast.com submit. If you don't want to be paid, send it to us at darkstories.org. These are tales from the break room. Some dementia patients can be terrifying. From K-Anon When I was in my first few years of college, I had great interest in working with the elderly. I'd always connected with older generations more than my own. I appreciated the history they lived through and the stories they had to share about it even if I got one that was a little too eccentric about certain historical events. Many of them had such valuable things to say, and mostly no one other than the family they had left to share it with. It was no surprise I ended up in an assisted living facility for a summer job. I enjoyed assisted livings because I could still see the patients live their lives while giving them the care they needed. Some were able to shower and toilet themselves alone, others weren't. And when they weren't, I was there to provide care and dignity to their struggles. The only things that were unfortunate about the job were the hours and the ratio of residents to employees. On any given shift, I would have a 10 to 1 resident to employee ratio, and I was working second shift. So with half my ratio being in wheelchairs, and the other half being frail or needing memory care, I had my hands full 24-7. This of course makes it difficult to connect with residents the main reason why I wanted this summer job. Nonetheless, I found time for my residents and ways to build relationships with them. But we all know that this story isn't going to be rainbows and butterflies. I'd been working there for a little over three months and was working so hard to build a relationship with a memory care resident. His dementia had made him a shell of the man he used to be, or at least that's what I was told by the family when they came to visit. He was extremely quiet and only seldom spoke words to employees that he seemed to take to. His name was Mr. Jones. Mr. Jones was under my care most of the time I was on duty. He had begun to warm up to me slowly but surely through the three months I'd been working there. He was able to toilet and shower himself but he needed reminders due to his dementia. Across the hall from Mr. Jones lived a man by the name of Mr. Owens. Mr. Owens was also a memory care resident, but his dementia varied greatly from Mr. Jones's. He had something called Louis Body Dementia, which combined with his PTSD from serving in Korea made him quite the caseload. He was notorious for getting combative when he had episodes and would often mistake us employees for other people. He had never struck me, but he had struck others. Me and Mr. Owens had only had several vocal altercations all of which were centered around him going into other residents' rooms. That was an absolute no-no. Though our residents maintained their autonomy for the most part within our facility, we were still held accountable for their actions. 
especially if it involved them and another resident. I often caught Mr. Owens in others' rooms at night as he was sundowning. You might know what this is if you saw the awful horror movie from 2015 called The Visit. It sucked. However, sundowning is what can often happen to dementia patients when the sun goes down. It refers to erratic and aggressive behaviors toward the late afternoon and nighttime, and often also includes pacing and anxiety as well. Mr. Owens did this very often, and on his sundowning journeys, he'd often wander into another patient's room and either wake them from their slumber in a panicked state because someone is in their freaking room, or he'd rummage through their belongings, which is also a major no-no for obvious reasons. On the particular night this story occurred, I was helping Mr. Jones get ready for bed. I was aiding him and remembering to change into his pajamas, brush his teeth, and take his nighttime medications. I sat with him for a moment after he crawled into his bed, and he looked at me with kind eyes. He said, Thank you, my dear. I was so overcome with emotion, knowing that this gentle old soul trusted me enough to speak to me, and I replied, You're always welcome, Mr. Jones. Have a good night, and I'll see you tomorrow afternoon, with a warm smile on my face. He told me he wasn't ready for bed just yet, and still had much to do tonight. With an okay, I took off to begin my cleanings for the night. This was around 8.30 to 9 o'clock. After sharing with my coworker the pride I took in knowing Mr. Jones trusted me, I completed all my cleanings with the wind of the healthcare gods under my wings. I felt as if I was truly excelling as a nurse aide. That was until bed check. I made my way down my wing of the building, gently knocking on doors as to not wake the residents. But if they were up and doing private business, if you understand what I'm saying, I wouldn't invade their privacy. I only had one resident still awake, and that was Mr. Owens. I had knocked and opened the door to check his room to hear him in the shower. I figured I would finish the rest of the hall and circled back to check on him after a little bit of time passed. The next resident to check was Mr. Jones. After knocking, I entered his room and saw his silhouette lay on its side facing away from me barely lit up by the milky moonlight. I saw his shoulder rise and fall ever so softly. I smiled and turned to leave the room when I heard a drip, drip, drip from the bathroom. Odd, I remarked to myself. I don't remember that dripping sound from earlier, and I'm sure he'd turned the faucet off after brushing his teeth. I pulled out my phone and planned to use its flashlight to illuminate the bathroom instead of turning the light on and possibly waking Mr. Jones. Upon turning on the flashlight and lighting up the small room, I saw crimson. There was blood everywhere. It coated the tile in thick pools. Chunks of sinew and skin were mixed into the blood on the tile. I recoiled in horror. What the hell happened here? I moved my phone up as I pulled my hands to my face in terror, and in doing so, I illuminated the sink and medicine cabinet. Hanging from the medicine cabinet were strips of skin, red with blood and torn as though they weren't removed neatly. I panicked. I radioed my coworker on the walkie-talkie to call the police and an ambulance, and I made my way to Mr. Jones's bedside. He'd been skinned. Strips of his chest, legs, arms, and face were gone. They'd been removed from him like a freaking animal that had been hunted. I stayed with him until emergency services arrived. I watched him be willed off, then turned and began to micromanage my wing of residence, 
as they were all in a panic now upon hearing the ambulance come. I went room to room to check on them, ensuring their safety and that whoever did this to Mr. Jones didn't harm anyone else. Upon getting to Mr. Owen's room, I knocked and entered. I could see the light coming from under his bathroom door. I knocked and asserted myself, saying I was coming in to check his safety, but I wish I had never opened that door. Mr. Owens was squeaky clean, standing in front of the mirror, humming an old tune and shaving his face. But the bathroom, oh God, the bathroom, it was covered in towels and red blood. It looked like a triage room in the ER after a gunshot victim had entered. I looked around, taking it all in. Life felt like slow motion. When we locked eyes, he winked at me. I was at a total loss for words. I babbled and stuttered, trying to get away from the man as fast as I could. I ran to the hallway and locked the man in his room. I heard him behind me as I ran out. He wasn't running. He was just slowly walking to the door, separating us. I saw him try the doorknob. It's like he knew I was watching. After he tried it a few times to no avail, I heard him say, What? Nothing to say? That's okay, the quiet ones make better victims anyhow. Needless to say, I quit that job, and I stayed as far away from dementia residence as possible. Mr. Jones died from his injuries. And Mr. Owens? That worthless prick is doing life in a facility, locked far, far away from the quiet ones he so desired. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. What is horror to you? Monsters? Murder? Mystery? Well, if human monsters are your thing, June's Journey is the game for you, albeit in a more lighthearted tone. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play, with my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. An Active Morning from Amy this story takes place in a grocery store, which we already knew was haunted. To be fair, the entire island we were on was known to be haunted, so small paranormal things happened every so often. At the time, I worked at a small mom-and-pop grocery store as a cashier. It was the only one on that end of the island. You could see most of the store from the register and down specific aisles depending on which register you were at. There were four aisles that had another aisle which cut through them halfway down. Working here, everyone had long since gotten used to tugs on our clothes, things usually falling off the shelves on aisle one, which is where the least amount of breakable things were, 
among other things. There was that morning where a glass jar of hot chocolate mix fell from a top shelf and shattered without a noise, and that did have us scratching our heads. We'd long since believed that the ghost in the store was the previous owner who was the father of the current owner. He was referred to as Red, and usually blamed for most of the incidents. I happened to be the opening manager one morning when the activity ramped up for no reason that I was aware of. I arrived about half an hour before opening, and I knew I would be alone since my coworker B never showed up until her exact clock-in time, which would be seven in the morning. So I opened up the door, locked it behind me, and I turned off the alarm. The store always had a few lights left on just so we weren't completely in the dark, and we usually kept it on that partial lighting until five minutes to open. I started going about my morning tasks, first thing being to grab the newspapers and count them. I headed over to the second entrance to the store, opening that door to grab everything. I put the newspapers on top of the carts, and as I started counting them, I noticed I could hear footsteps. Directly in front of me was a lattice that acted like a wall to separate where the carts were from the rest of the store. Our soda machine was on a counter directly on the other side, and it was the beginning of aisle one as well. I could very distinctly hear footsteps on the aisle, even though I was the only person in the store. I popped my head around the corner, just to be sure, and there was nothing there. I shrugged, assuming it was just the usual ghostly antics, and I kept counting newspapers. The footsteps kept coming back though, following me up to the registers where I had to confirm the lotto ticket numbers. They kept walking in front of the registers, and even the plastic bags began to rustle. This made me a bit more nervous, since I had to have my back to the rest of the store while I did these numbers. As I finished up, I decided to turn the lights on early, hoping that might quiet things down a little. I had to walk past all the aisles to reach the back room where the light box was. Aisles one and two were normal, but I jumped as I passed aisle three, because standing halfway down at the cross aisle was a tall black humanoid mass. It stood probably about six feet tall. I picked up my pace, wanting to just return to the front of the store, but knowing I had to turn the lights on still. I had to go down aisle four and pass the cross aisle where I'd just seen the entity. I'm a little embarrassed to admit that I ran past that part and I ducked behind the freezers where the light box was and I turned everything on. Then I had to go past that section again. This time I did look, but I saw nothing there. I made a detour to grab the tills for the registers and as I was putting them in the tills, the footsteps and bag rustling started up again. As soon as I was done with that, I pretty much refused to do anything else, and I just stood with my back against the counter, listening to the footsteps throughout the store. There was one last scare in the store for me though. Earlier than expected, there was a loud knocking on the window behind me, which nearly made me jump out of my skin. I'd never been so relieved to see my coworker before. As soon as she came in, everything else quieted down, but I did tell the rest of my coworkers about it. It's the only time any of us had ever seen an apparition in the store. Afterwards, I never had a morning like that again. It just went back to the usual clothes tugging and cups falling off of shelves on aisle one. But I can tell you one thing. I'll never forget seeing that shadowy mass on aisle three. 
Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Level B2 from K. Just as some background, I worked in digital marketing, but the COVID pandemic hit pretty hard in my country. I got laid off due to my old company being shut down. So for a year now, I took the trade of my father and became a full-time plumber. The job is fine. I get to work on my own time and the bills are paid. There has not been that many downsides. Well, not until this particular day that I'm about to share with you. I got a call from a small company on the edge of town. They needed a toilet to be unclogged, and they needed it fixed fast. I wasn't doing anything that day, so I got my tools and drove out there. It was at an old building surrounded by fancy new ones. I'd been there before, but that was years ago. I could have sworn they had demolished this building to make way for a new modern office block, but I guess they hadn't yet. The plumbing might not be in the best shape, I thought to myself. I drove into the parking lot. It was an opening that led to an opening that goes down maybe a floor or two into the basement of the building. As I entered the lot, there was a boy there. He couldn't have been older than half my age. He took a look at my car and told me to pay a small fee for the parking. I asked him, where's the parking barrier? He told me it was being maintained, so he'll be collecting the parking fee. Sure. I said. I didn't want to argue as I was almost late for the job, so I reluctantly paid the boy, and he then handed me what looked to be a used parking card, usually to indicate someone had paid for the parking fee. To be honest, it was sketchy at best, but these are the things you have to deal with in this part of town. He then told me to immediately take a left from here and find parking at the back, as he pointed straight down a long line of cars. Again, I'd been there before, and the building I'm supposed to be at, Block C, is just behind him on the right. So I had to ignore his instructions. I took a sharp turn and sped through the parking lot toward C Block. I heard him yelling, trying to stop me. It didn't take me long to find a parking spot. I was lucky enough to find one really close to the elevator. There were people coming in and out of the building, understandably so, as it was nearing the end of a working day. I took out my two toolboxes and headed to the elevator. As I pushed the button to go up to the fourth floor, I quickly noted my surroundings, and I double-checked my location to be sure. It was C-Block, parking spot number 186, floor B2. The parking lot had yellow pillars. Alright, got it, I thought. That's easy to remember. Long story short, I came and I did my job. 
Turns out it was just clumps of toilet paper stuck inside the pipes. I cleared the blockage, and the guy actually gave me a pretty big tip. We had a small chat, and I hurried back to the toilet to pack my things as I didn't want to get stuck in traffic. My house was at the other side of town, after all. As I was packing up my tools, I looked at my watch. It was 7pm. I thought to myself, yeah, great, just in time for dinner. I carried my toolboxes with both hands and headed back to level B2. When I got there, there were still plenty of parked cars, but mine wasn't there. I looked around, thinking another car may have blocked it from my view, or it was at the other side of the elevator exit. But it wasn't. I scoured the area looking for it several times. I sighed and wondered if I went off on the wrong floor, so I went to the floor above me, B1. To my surprise, that floor was even worse. It definitely was not where I'd parked my car. It didn't even look like the same building. Then I remembered the parking spot number, 186. I came back down and tried to relocate my car that way. As the elevator opened, I could already see the numbers on the floor, indicating the parking spot numbers. The last spot, right at the edge, was number 180. So I checked the spot next to it, 179, 178, 177. The number just kept getting smaller and smaller, so it couldn't be along that row, right? I felt really tired, and I didn't feel like walking to find out, so I went back up to the fourth floor to try and retrace my steps. I went back to the office and walked back to the elevator with my toolboxes still in my hands. Everything was the same as when I arrived, only now the sun was slowly making its way down for nightfall. There seemed to be fewer and fewer people as time passed. Again at the elevator I pressed B2, and this time, the parking lot looked like level B1 from previously. The pillars were grey and there seemed to be fewer cars. I walked around the area to find my car, desperately trying to activate the alarm from my remote, but nothing happened. My car's alarm didn't go off. This was unusual because usually if the alarm was triggered I could hear it blaring from pretty far away. I looked at my watch again. It was 7.15pm. I thought I was going crazy because it couldn't have been that short of a time that passed. At this point, cars were driving past me left and right as office hours ended a while ago. Pretty soon the parking lot was empty, save for a few dusty cars that looked like they had been abandoned. Thinking I must have entered the wrong block, I walked all the way to the end of the parking lot, only to find a dead end. Just a wall of concrete. At this point, I had given up looking for my car, and I figured I would just find the exit and come back for my car tomorrow. The exit signs were everywhere, but the more I followed the signs, the more confused I got. I kept going in circles, and I always ended up back at the elevator. So I came back to the ground floor and there was a small desk with a security guard on his phone. I asked him, Is this a C block? He said, Yep, this is C block. Then I asked, Is there any elevator I can use to get to level B2? He replied, no, there is only this elevator for this block. He seemed disinterested to assist me, but that's probably the only information I needed. So I went down the same elevator again, this time first to level B1, just to make sure I'm not on the wrong floor. When the doors opened, I peeked out, and no, my car wasn't there. 
so I continued to B2. Now B2 was completely empty. There was nothing. Nobody in work clothes, no cars going out, just still air in a basement. Again? I asked myself. So yes, again, I walked around trying to find my car. I saw a sign that pointed me to Block D and I decided to follow it, thinking maybe I parked it at the wrong block. I treaded carefully and set a few visual markers so I could retrace my steps. After maybe about 20 minutes, a few turns, and a few times catching my breath, I felt like I got to a part of the car park that hadn't seen a visitor in months. It was dusty, it was dark. I looked around and there I saw on the walls, C. I was still in C block. I checked my wristwatch, 7.20pm. I was about to lose my mind right there and right then. I dropped my toolboxes and ran to the elevator and got on the ground floor. I took a cab home and I slept in the cab. That was my day. The following day I went back to the building. I went through the same reception counter, same elevator, the door opened and there it was in plain sight. My car, just in front of the glass pane that you see as you exit the car park. The most unusual part? The toolboxes I left were right next to the car, on the driver's side door. I got in and I pulled out, vowing to never again step foot in this building. It's been a few weeks since then. I never knew what happened that day, nor do I ever want to find out. Invisible Employee from Vladimir I'll start by saying I'm a skeptic. My mind runs through any logical explanation when something supernatural happens. I don't immediately believe stories or videos even if I'm creeped out by them and think, heck no. However, once my mind runs through everything and comes up empty, I'll admit, well that's something for sure, I just don't know what. In 1907 through 1908, the property I work at opened as the first tuberculosis hospital in Kentucky. In 1940, when its more well-known sister hospital couldn't hold any more patients, the building I now work in was built to take them in. When the sister hospital finally closed, my work took the remaining patients. At some point, we became an institute for the mentally and physically disabled. When I began working as a housekeeper, I was on first shift. I heard many stories of ghosts, shadow figures, and strange creatures roaming outside and inside the building. The property has many structures once used to house nurses, doctors, and other staff during the tuberculosis outbreak, now used for other departments. These stories often came from the residents who died during the nursing home phase. However, I quickly learned the history of the institute, and many of the stories could be from either time period. To me, they were just that, stories to spook the new guy. Although deep down I wanted to experience one of those stories myself, since I also enjoyed ghost or supernatural stories, even if I barely believed in them. Eventually, I discovered that we once had a morgue within the building, which explains our one elevator that opens on both sides, leading to a back door. I was moved to third shift, and forgot all about the stories I'd heard from first shift. Our cleaning carts have a distinct sound, so distinct that people would say, here comes housekeeping, half joking, half out of habit. I mention this because one night when I was alone, I heard a similar noise. 
I stopped stalking my cart and walked into the hall to see who from second was still there. But there was no one. Five minutes went by and I hear it again. I was thinking someone was playing a prank on me. I searched the housekeeping hall, but again I found no one. Either I'd gotten so used to my cart's unique voice or something else was making the noise. Finding no answer, I just went back to work. This sound went on for months without an explanation. Listening closely though, I noticed it sounded like our carts, but not. There was a specific word that described what I was hearing, but I couldn't figure it out. It wasn't just me who heard it either. Anyone on third shift who needed to pass through our hallway heard it. We all just assumed it was the pipes. Everyone knows the old girl needed a makeover after all these years. With my luck, I ended up training a new employee mid to late 2017. I had her grab a chemical we had run out of as I started on a bathroom. When she still didn't come back after a while, I stepped out of the bathroom and looked down the hall, since housekeeping was just in view. She was just standing there, dazed. Bolting past the double doors, she returned to my side and managed to get out of quiet. I don't know where it is. She clearly lied because I could see she never even entered the chemical room. I didn't call her out on it, and I went with her so she would know where it was in case our boss asked, and hopefully to calm her down. She didn't last long, and she moved to first shift, leaving me alone again. In early 2018, a storm took the power out, even the backup generator. I turned my phone's flashlight on and put my supplies up, heading over to the lobby since they had their own generator in times of emergency. I didn't want to be near a back door that was now not locked, plus I had to see if the lobby elevator was still working. As I took one step out of the cart room, I shined my light on the double doors and began to walk. I stopped dead in my tracks when I heard the doors open, but could clearly see they were still closed. That's when I heard our friendly pipes come rushing towards me. A gurney, I blurted, when I finally realized what I'd been hearing for half a year. Feeling as if someone was waiting for me to move, I glanced at the office I'd stopped in front of. Housekeeping's office. That's when I remembered our office was once the morgue. I sidestepped and gave a simple, my bad, and continued on my way feeling weird about what I'd said. After all, there was no one there. After this incident, I never heard the gurney again, and the others on third shift who had heard it were happy it was gone. They thought the pipes had been fixed. Maybe my brain played a trick on me since I wanted an experience and the situation was just right. At least, that's what I kept telling myself. Two months after that experience, I was relieving second shift, and the new guy who I'd never spoken to pulled me aside before he left, and he asked me, Is it normal to hear a gurney in our hallway? Tales from the Break Room is a viewer-submitted podcast featuring allegedly true scary stories that happened on the way to, on the way from, or at work. If you want your story to be narrated on the show, send it to us at eeriecast.com submit. As of April 14th, we're paying three cents per word for stories that are approved and make it onto the show. Submission does not guarantee approval or payment. For a limited time only, PayPal only. Tales from the Break Room is an EerieCast Network original podcast hosted by Darkness Prevails. You can follow him on Twitter at Dark Prevails 
And you can hear thousands more stories read by him on our other show, Unexplained Encounters. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow and rate Tales from the Break Room on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You can also enjoy plenty more horror-themed podcasts at eeriecast.com.